0: Well, good morning. Uh, Many of you uh, who've heard me preach here before probably remember that it's pretty often that I make references to growing up in the church, uh, that uh, I grew up listening to my dad preach. My dad was a pastor uh, throughout my young adulthood. uh, And this was something that was a major influence on me. And many of you have met my dad. Uh, Ed Piorik as he's come to watch me preach. So uh, we we're really excited when he uh, accepted the invitation to preach this morning. So I'd like to welcome up my father, Pastor Ed Peoric. That's right, David grew up listening to me. And uh, that's what sort of uh, inspired him to go through his punk phase. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But he's turned out to be a fine preacher himself, hasn't he? One of the things I wanted to do this morning is... uh, Thank uh, you at St. Andrews for uh, providing such a wonderful church home for our Holy Family. The Holy Family uh, consists of uh, David, Sandy and the wonder kind Hezekiah. (laughs) Now uh, I've been asked to uh, preach on uh, the concluding part of John 17. And uh, I've listened to David's sermon two weeks ago and Peter's last week. And I'd have to say they've really teed the ball up for me uh, with with how they have uh, uh, introduced uh, some of these subjects. Uh, David spoke about ultimate reality two weeks ago and really focused on the ultimate reality of life is to live in the love of God. And then last week, Peter... Uh, t- began uh, John 17 and he spoke about three things beauty goodness and truth and that all three of these things uh, emanate from love and when we look through the lens of these things we should be drawn to love and so uh, we can see that the the way this uh, uh, teaching of Jesus is going uh, and especially in this prayer it's moving towards us having a greater understanding of the love of God and he's praying that we will be drawn into an existential experience of it and uh, so this is what we will be looking at in the text this morning and I'd like to read it it's in uh, John 17 and I believe it'll be up on your screen uh, the final part of uh, the Lord's Prayer In this chapter John 17 I'll be reading from verse 20 my prayer is not for them alone he's inferring to his original disciples I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message these are all the disciples that will follow which includes all of us in this room I will pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. So that they may be brought to complete unity, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those who have, I want those who have given me to be with me where I am, and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world righteous father though the world does not know you I know you and they know that you have sent me I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them and so here we see this prayer of Jesus that is all about a consummation in the love of God. And I've called this message, The End Game is Love. And you're probably familiar with the term end game. I looked it up in uh, Webster's dictionary. It's the last part of of a strategic game like checkers or chess. You probably heard that term uh, in chess, uh, preparing for the end game. Another way of looking at it, a broader definition, is it's the final stage of some process or action. And we can take those uh, two uh, parts of the definition and apply it to this text because Jesus is looking to the end game. He's praying for the end game. And as we'll see, the end game that he's headed for is love. And uh, when I was thinking about chess, I was reminded of my one and only chess game. And I played it with my son David, who had some knowledge of chess, and I had never played chess before. And so we had this one game, and he showed me some of the rudimentary moves, and we played this game, and it seemed to just move my way. Every move that he made seemed to help me make the right move. I ended up winning that game. And as I thought back upon this thing, is that really the end game that David had in mind was not so much his winning the game, but me winning the game. Uh, He wanted me to win the game, so he set me up and so that he would feel, I would feel loved as I won the game. And so uh, the end game is love. And I'd like to take a look at five different aspects of this end game because we see that Jesus prays strategically towards an end. He has a strategy, uh, and the conclusion will be love. And so there's several things that I really like about this text. And the first thing that we see in the text, it's sort of a, you have to have eyes to look for it, is what I would call essential Trinitarian love. Essential Trinitarian love. This is the beginning of all of it all and we get this glimpse in verse 24 where Jesus says father I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world and here we we this we get this little uh, tidbit that is huge in its implications, uh, because it gives us a glimpse into the eternal trinity. We see that Jesus is saying, Father, before creation, in eternity past, you loved me. And we begin to see that God, the Godhead, is essentially a relationship of love. This is essential Trinitarian love. We know God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit uh, existing in three persons, yet one God, but it is essentially, at the core, a relationship of love. And the beauty of it is all love that exists comes out of that essential, eternal beginning. St. Augustine put it this way. He said, The Father loves the Son, and the Son loves the Father, and the bond of love is the Holy Spirit. Beautiful imagery. Dallas Willard says, God is a sweet society of love. Beautiful. Because in my early Christian days, I never saw it. I just looked at the Trinity and, doc, you know, broke it up into doctrinal pieces, put them all in their place. But I missed the fact that essentially it's a relationship of love. And this love is meant to be shared with all of creation. And I love the way Brendan Manning puts this when he talks about the furious love of God He says, the foundation of the furious longing of God is the Father, who is the originating lover, the Son, who is the full expression of that love, and the Spirit, who is the original and inexhaustible activity of that love, drawing the created universe into itself. This is so beautiful to realize that this magnificent beyond description relationship of love and the Godhead has this agenda of drawing all creation into itself in other words all of mankind the purpose of God is to bring them back into the the love that God wants to experience with them with his creation essential Trinitarian love is where it all begins But it's not supposed to just remain out in the ether. It is meant to be something we experience. And this is the second point. When I think talk about the end game is love, it's all about experiencing this love. Jesus prays that we will have this experiential relationship in the love of God. And he speaks about this in verse 21. He prays that all of them all of the disciples to come all of them may be one father just as you are in me and i am in you may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me jesus speaks about this unity between the father and the son this relationship but then he says i'm praying that they may be in us that they may be part of this experience of love. And it's a word here where he's he's saying, I want all mankind to be included in this love. And I want all mankind to come to an intimacy of this love. to To be with you, Father, just as I am with you. And to be with me. Just as you, Father, and with me in this relationship of love, he is saying that the goal that he's praying for is that all that would follow, all believers, would come to intimacy in this love. Inclusion and intimacy in the Godhead. And in one way, theologically, we're included. We look up, there's God the Father in heaven, God the Son the Spirit of God between them. And we look up theologically and say, yes, we are part of that. And we, work, we, 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 we focus on it You know, yes, positionally, we're part of that. But that's only half of it. The other half is when, like Jesus says, that we, they may be in us and we may be in them. That means for the existential experience of the Trinity, inside us father son and holy spirit and i believe that in our christian lives mine yours all disciples it's meant to be a trinitarian journey into the experience of god and you know when it it starts with salvation we we enter through salvation through faith in christ and then at some point, we finally understand the necessity of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And that, because the Holy Spirit has to fill us for many reasons. But one is that we can have emotional experience. The Spirit of God has to be alive in us so that we can feel the presence of God. And once we get in that place of being prepared to have experience, then at that point, the Father is going to reveal himself to us. And we will experience his love. And I can tell you that that's the way my journey was. You know where my journey began? It began on the front row in a hard pew in a Presbyterian church. (laughs) Janet and I were sitting there. We were very young. I think I was 22 and she was 18. 18. My mother had passed away, and we had had sort of a dynamic experience the night before. And in the morning, we said, what should we do? I think we met God, so we, well, let's go to church. So we we get to the Presbyterian Church and sit there, and and we're just sort of feeling this presence. We don't know really what it is. But then they start singing hymns, and Jesus, (laughs) Jesus is in the words. And then the pastor got up and started preaching out of the Gospels about the life of Jesus. And both Jan and I simultaneously said, it, we looked at each other, it was Jesus. It was Jesus. And at that point, we gave our lives to Jesus. And in, in, from that point on, I got into, involved in the youth ministry there. And the next thing you know, uh, I became one of the youth leaders. And eventually I became a pastor. And as I became a pastor in one of those early uh, Jesus Revolution churches, uh, I got to this point where I got hungry for more of the Holy Spirit. I was a good Bible teacher, but I got hungry for more of the Holy Spirit. And at that time, I met John Wimber, who was the founder of the Vineyard uh, Movement. And that, he became my spiritual father. He laid hands upon me. I felt the power of the Holy Spirit. I began to have experiences in the Spirit. I was on my journey. Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit. And then I came to this point where I began. Salvation out of love. And so he prays that this will be exemplified. And that he, one of the things in that text is that the love that they will be experiencing will be a unifying love, a unifying love. Uh, one thing that I have come to realize is that love is the greatest unifier. Love is the greatest unifier in a marriage. Love is the greatest unifier in a family. Great is meant, love is meant to be the greatest unifier in the church. This is why the church, especially the Western church, desperately needs a great outpouring of love that it might become unified. Because unified love speaks. Unified love speaks loudly. And it's so beautiful because if you want... One image one word you can speak to that everybody in the world unifies and sees god 's love, and all you have to do is say, "Mother Teresa you all you have to do is say it: Everybody loves mother Teresa i don 't care what your uh, your doctrine is, you know where you are in, in, in the church i don't i don 't care where you 're at in your politic because All you have to do is say Mother Teresa and people say, see the love of God. They see the whole essence of what uh, a life well lived is all about. And I just believe that we as people who grow in the experience of Trinitarian love will come, we become unifiers. We become unifiers. We do not allow ourselves to get polarized out on the fringes where we are losing the essence of love. It's not worth it. The church needs to learn how to be centered in this this love. As we in our our own lives know, we we have to be centered. Unified love speaks. And it speaks by our words, our works, and by osmosis. This love, when it fills us, speaks all by itself, like Mother Teresa. She doesn't have to say anything. It just speaks love. Now this love is so important that Jesus is praying for an endless revelation of this love, an endless revelation. Uh, And we read about this in in what I think are the the primary verses that we're looking towards, verses 24 and 25. This This is the end game right here. Jesus is building towards this. This is is the end of his prayer. This is the end of his discourse because in chapter 18, we're going to move towards the crucifixion. And these these are the last poignant words. And he says, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am. That's the heavenly promise. And to see my glory. We all look forward to that. The glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you. And they, the disciples to come, and they... I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. This endless revelation. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you. Jesus, No one knew the Father like Jesus. And they, the disciples, know that you have sent me. They know who Jesus is. I have made you, Father, known to them. And Jesus made the Father known to his original disciples. Uh, it was quite radical. He came and he just kept talking about the Father. You do not see this uh, tremendous uh, conversation about the Father in the Old Testament. But Jesus just couldn't stop talking about his Father, especially in the Gospel of John. He he made made the Father known by his words. And then Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He made the Father known by the way he loved people. And he made them Father known what his love looks like because he, he got baptized and we saw exactly what it looks like to be baptized in the love of God. And then he promised that same love that David was talking about, that phileo love to come upon all who believe in him. And it would come in their experience on the day of Pentecost. But he made the Father known. But he says, I will continue to make you known. I have made you known. That's what he did in his life. And will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me, in other words, the love that Jesus experienced from the Father may be in them, in their experience, and that I myself may be in them. So Jesus said, I revealed the Father and I was here, but I will continue to reveal the Father to the very end to all the disciples that are to come. And I have this quote I love from B.F. Westcott. This this was a game changer for me on understanding this text. The revelation of the Father's name, complete in one sense, I made known, that's aorist in the Greek, he did it once in his life, is nonetheless continuous in the Greek. I will make, I will continue to make you known, on and on and on without end. It cannot be finished while the world lasts. The end of it is that the Father will regard the disciples in their growing faith, even as he regarded the Son. He'll love them, the disciples, the ones to come, even as he loved his own Son and that they may feel his love. See, Westcott, this this famous scholar, said the end is that the Father will keep being revealed continuously as long as the world lasts to every person, that the goal is that they may feel his love. And then he quotes Romans 5.5. And hope will not disappoint us because the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Jesus is praying for an endless revelation of love to you and me. The Father the Father is constantly working to, to make you aware of his love. Jesus is constantly working in your life to reveal the Father to you. The Spirit of God is brooding over your life. In fact, the Spirit of the living God is brooding over you right now. Trying to make to make this known to you that you are loved by your Heavenly Father and that this relationship is open to you. And then another aspect is once we've experienced this love, then we become agents of making this love known. We become, Jesus was constantly making the Father's love known to people. When we, when we begin to walk in what I would call sonship, in the position of being a, a a son or daughter of the Father, like Jesus, then we can't help but make our daddy known. And that's the way it spreads. The concluding thing that he prays for is what I would call end times love. End times love. Jesus prays that there will be a manifestation of his love in the end times. And this is in verse 26. He says, I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. He says, this revelation of love is going to keep manifesting and manifesting until I come back to be with them. You see, I was involved in the Jesus Revolution. I don't know how many of you saw that movie. But that was a revelation of Jesus Christ. And it swept, you know, through California. Ended up sweeping, sweeping throughout the world. It was a massive revelation of the love of Jesus Christ. And it was, became uh, a revelation that became a revolution. I'd like to share with you now that there, there is an unprecedented massive revelation of the Father's love sweeping across the earth. Uh, the Spirit of God is making millions of people aware of this Father's love. And people are coming into this experience. So it's like there's, there's this great revelation of the Father's love, and the result is it's creating a Father revolution. Now, Jesus is praying for this, this massive revelation of the Father, and you unify it with this beautiful revelation of Jesus Christ, and it keeps moving towards a conclusion A conclusion of love and so when we look at this it's my take on it is is that the church when it becomes filled with Trinitarian love when it knows the Father's love and it loves the Father when it knows this the love of Jesus and it loves Jesus and the Spirit's doing that what ha- we get caught up in the continuum. Remember what I said about Augustine? The Father loves the Son, the Son loves the Father, and the Holy Spirit is the bond of love. What happens is that the Father loves us as he loves the Son. And you know what happens? When that love the Father has for the Son gets us, you know what, we fall in love with Jesus again. We love Jesus more, and the more we love Jesus, you know what he does? He reveals more of the Father to us. And it's this beautiful, fulfilling continuum, and this is where, what I believe Jesus is praying for is this kind of conclusion of love. He's praying for this outpouring of love as a preparation for Christ's return to a loving church. The Word Bible commentary which is my standard says that this consummation of Jesus coming and being with them with this loving church is none other than the Parousia. This is the Parousia, the return of the of the Lord Jesus Christ to his church. So you see love is the end game. In the very end, it's going to be all about love. Love is the end game for the Christian. See, this is the way I'm focusing my whole life. I want my life to be all about love. I want to make every investment I can make in love. Because I want to be ready. I want to be going with the flow into this end game. Because when I meet Jesus Christ, I want to be filled with love. And I believe that this is the mission of the church, to be filled with this love. This is what Jesus is praying for, uh, to fulfill their mission and to be ready for his return. And I believe this even encompasses what I would call the renewed creation. Love is going to renew everything in the end. This is a powerful and beautiful prayer. The end game of it all is love, and that's what Jesus is praying for. That we would know this essential Trinitarian love is our experience. We would exemplify it with our life, we would be part of this ongoing revelation to everyone around us. Because love is what it's all about. Let's pray. We could all just take a deep breath. And as we breathe in to realize in the spirit, we're literally breathing in the presence of the Spirit of God. the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, the presence Of our Abba Father. That in this church. It becomes like a tabernacle. Of the loving presence of God. In that atmosphere we pray. Our Father in heaven. Remember this prayer of your son. Answer it for us. Answer this prayer. That we just read. Answer it. For us, here and now. We come before you with full faith, Father, in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we ask, pour out your Holy Spirit upon us that we might experience afresh your great love. Commission us as ambassadors of your love to the world around us. Amen.